Amen. Y'all can be seated. I've been thinking about our four-year-old Luke this week and some conversations we've been having. And thinking about the fact the Bible talks a lot about childlike faith. Childlike faith and thinking about the idea that sometimes kids get it more than we do as adults. Because they haven't allowed all that worldly wisdom to creep in and cause the same doubts and and skepticism that that we sometimes bring to the table. I I think about a conversation I had with him about this picture. It was on our highlights that some of you have as well of Jesus when when he calmed the storm. And I was telling little Luke about how scared the disciples were. And Jesus just spoke, peace be still, and all those waves and the wind stopped. And you know what little Luke, four years old, said to me? He said, I know that because you're supposed to listen to God. (laughs) As a four-year-old, he knows that wind and those waves are supposed to listen to God. It got me thinking about the issue of people. Wind and the waves obey him. People, sometimes yes, sometimes not so much. It's an interesting discussion. But he knew he was supposed to listen to God. I I thought about a walk I was taking with him one time around the neighborhood. And we have some questions and answers that we do with him to help him understand the good news of what Jesus did for our salvation. And I asked him, I said, how do you know, Luke, that, that God loves us? And he said, Jesus died for the bad things we do. I asked him, did he stay dead? He said, no, he's God. Yes, bottom line, that's it. That's the bottom line about what we're about to read about the resurrection. The resurrection proved that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. He is God, the Son, our Savior, and Lord. I want to dive in and explore it. And like we did last week with the death and the burial, remember how we talked about as believers, we are intimately involved in those things. We are in Christ. In fact, I encourage you to do some homework to go to Ephesians 1, 3 through 13 and circle all the time that says in him or through his blood or something like that. I I hope you did that. Today, we're going to talk about the rest of the story, that we're also in him as believers in his resurrection. So if you would dive in with me to Mark chapter 16. First, we'll look at the events. And we'll look at what it means for believers today. Mark 16, 1. When the Sabbath, or Saturday, on our calendars, was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Now, there's a couple things here that already help us as we deal with skeptics of the resurrection. How many of you know there are many, many who have questions about the resurrection? Did it really happen? And they have strong beliefs as to why they think it didn't. One that they will bring up at times is that these women surely showed up at the wrong tomb. They were just confused. They walked into another empty tomb. But you know what the last verse of Mark chapter 15 told us last week? You look in your Bible, it says, the women, these same women saw where he was laid. They saw which tomb he was laid in. So that that does away with this one. Another thing I think about says Mary, Mary, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. 
Were they going there expecting to have a joyous reunion with a, a risen Savior? No, they were going there with much love for their Savior, but a lack of faith that he was alive as he said he would be. They expected to anoint his dead body. That does another, away with another objection to the resurrection. Some say that these women and the men disciples wanted this so bad, and they believed it so bad, and they wished for it so bad, that they just began to hallucinate that he was alive. It has multiple problems, including that Corinthians tells us he appeared to over 500 people. Generally, hallucinations are not a group event. <laughs> just saying. But also, this passage, does, does this say that they really believed it so much that they, they hallucinated it? No, quite the opposite. They doubted it. They went to anoint his dead body. And you remember when they eventually went to tell the men, they had the same kind of reaction, right? Like these, these women are crazy. I'm paraphrasing. I'm paraphrasing. Another, another thing I, I think about here. They bought spices so they might go and anoint him. Now, if you know the Gospels, you know that Joseph of Arimathea, whose tomb he was buried in, and Nicodemus had already done some of this preparation for his body. Now, in the mischievous side of me, it makes me think about something that women do many things better than men. And, and they, they know they do many things better than men, including anointing the dead and, at my house, loading the dishwasher properly. And you other guys do the load and she does the reload? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. But I come back to reality. What's, what's more likely to be the case here, what's going on, is Joseph and Nicodemus had to hurry. You remember the Sabbath was coming because the Sabbath starts the evening of Friday on the Jewish calendar. They had to get him in there quickly, and it's likely that there was more to be done. <clears throat> so these women came out of love to anoint his dead body. One more thing here. If you were cooking up a story about a, a savior who rose from the dead, if you were making this up in the Jewish culture, do you, in your right mind, include women as your first witnesses? No, because they were thought very lowly of as witnesses in, in matters like this. If you were making this story up, you make these people men. To, to increase their validity in this culture. So the fact that the gospel writers just faithfully tell us there's women indicates that all they're doing is telling us what really happened. Okay, so let's go on to verse 2. Very early on the, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. Now there's another one. When the sun had risen, some skeptics go to the gospel of John. And when you read around this account, John says it was dark. This account says when the sun had risen. All you got to do is apply a little mental effort to realize these women had to travel from their homes to the garden. So the likely solution is when they left, it was dark. When they got there, the sun had risen. Okay, you following? Okay, so a lot of these so-called contradictions take just a little bit of common sense and thought. To, to respond to, if, if maybe you have those questions as well. They got there, and they're saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Again, they're expecting a closed tomb, dead body. 
verse 4, that looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. I love that note from Mark. This was heavy. It would likely have taken multiple men in normal circumstances to move it. Matthew tells us what happened. There was no man at all. There was an earthquake and an angel moved that stone. Now let me ask you a question. Did the angel do that so that Jesus could get out? No. No, many have pointed out that elsewhere in the Gospels, you'll remember him almost sort of teleporting into a room where the disciples were eating, a locked room. He didn't need the stone moved. Why did they move it? So that the witnesses could get in and see this tomb was indeed empty. Okay, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Now, you're looking for Jesus' body, and instead there's a stranger in there. That alone is alarming. Who are you, and why are you here? But we know something from the other Gospels about this young man dressed in white, as Mark describes him. What? What? Who is this? It's an angel. It's an angel who also often appear in the form of men. The other Gospels tell us there were two angels, which, which some believe reflects the reality that in the temple, when you got into the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant was there and you had the, the mercy seat in the middle upon which the high priest would put the blood, you remember there were two cherubim? Some believe this picture in the empty tomb of two angels there where he was laid takes us back to that same picture. But whatever the case, they're alarmed. This is not just a stranger. This is an angel. And you remember that's a common reaction to angels throughout the Bible. And so is his response. Verse 6, he said to them, do not be alarmed. And, and they're like, e easy for you to say. <laughs> right? You, you, he says to them, you seek Jesus of Nazareth. So he's, he's clarifying. He knows who they're looking for. And now he's going to say what has happened to Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. Okay, he's talking about the crucified Lord, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And it's a good thing he was there to pass on this message, right? Because otherwise they would have been left to wonder, why is the tomb empty? God sent the messenger. And then guess what? They were sent out with a message, just as you and I are, a message of good news. Verse 7, the angel says to them, go tell his disciples and Peter. We'll talk about those two little words a little more later. Isn't it interesting? He says, go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Verse 8, they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment. we got to put ourselves in their shoes. We have been hearing this, if you're like me, from the time we're in Sunday school. We must confess that we get used to the idea of Jesus rising from the dead. These women, not so much used to it. Okay, they show up at a tomb expecting to anoint a dead body, and they get news from an angel that he is risen. No wonder they're trembling and astonished. That's a common reaction in the Bible when people encounter the holy, mighty, majestic work of God. You or I would be trembling too. 
That's not the normal way things happen. Even in the Gospels, even in this moment, when Jesus calmed the sea and the winds, you remember his guys are like, what kind of man is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. Let's not lose that kind of awe and wonder of who and what we're dealing with here. Trembling and astonishment had seized them. Matthew adds there was a note of joy there. Okay, let's not miss that, but let's not let that diminish their trembling. They're a little bit freaked out here. And it says, they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, when you harmonize that with the rest of the Gospels, you know that means nothing to anyone except the disciples. We know they told the disciples. This means along the way they didn't dare stop and talk to anybody about it. What, what, what are they going to say anyways? <laughs> yeah, whatever. Okay. They were afraid. What does all this mean? It means exactly what Luke said it means. He, he's God as Paul puts it. In Romans 1, 3 and 4, he speaks of, God's son, who is descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is vindication that everything he said was true. He is the son of God, the savior and Lord. We are to come to in faith and surrender and worship. But just like last week, when we, we talked about how we were in his death, in his burial as believers, I want to talk about the same reality with his resurrection. What does it have to do with the life of the believer today? More than remembering it on Easter once a year. Because it was meant for a whole lot more than that. <laughs> okay? It's meant to change everything. And if we grasp onto what it means, I pray the Spirit will do as He wished with these truths. So a couple ideas. How does it apply to our lives? Number one, we have a new position. We have a new position in the risen Lord. We are now justified before the Father. Let me, let me read what Romans 4.25 says. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Anybody know what justification means? It means to be declared righteous. In the risen Lord, you are declared righteous in Christ's righteousness before God. You're justified. I'll also call this newness of life. That's key to our new position. Romans 6, 4. Paul says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Newness of life. Now, as we talked about with the death and burial, it's not enough just to know this in a way where it's tucked away somewhere way back in the recesses of our mind and we rarely ponder it, rarely think about it. We got to daily do what? Gary, we talked about this at the chili cook-off. What do we got to do with this truth? Remember it and use it. Yes, but there was a word from Ohio I shared. <laughs> we got to reckon it. We got to reckon it to be so, right? 
In fact, I thought you of all people would remember it because Gary, we're at the chili cook-off before the winners are even announced. He comes up to me and he says, I reckon you'll be second. And I said, well, I'm at least glad to see you are listening to my sermon. He's reckoning. He's affirming something to be true. But then after it happened and I got second place and not first place, I get an email from Gary. He says, I must be a prophet. <laughs> so I said, when are my Cleveland Browns going to win the Super Bowl? He said, never. <laughs> so I'm sure he's a false prophet. <laughs> but he got the reckon. He got the reckon. It is to affirm something to be true in a way that touches down in your life. It's not enough to know somewhere back here that we live in newness of life. We've got to reckon it to be so. That's why in Romans 6, 10, in 11, where we read about reckoning ourselves to be dead to sin, Paul does not stop there. Romans 6, 11, he says, you also must consider, reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Remember last week he said, what if we woke up and said, Lord, I believe what you say. I'm dead to sin. Help me to live that way today. But if we go on and say, Lord, I don't just believe that I am dead to sin. I believe I'm now alive to you in the resurrected Christ and in the power of the Spirit. Some of the ways the New Testament describes this, I would not even be comfortable sharing with you unless it was there. It, it sounds almost too good to be true, but I want you to listen to what Paul says about you, believer in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.4 is God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And listen to this. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you understand why I would never even say that if it wasn't in the word? Spiritually speaking, believer, you are seated with Christ on his throne in the heavenly places. What will we do if we embrace that position, that newness of life, that being alive to God. I think about embracing position. I think about something that happened at Little Caesars on Friday night. Any other families hit that on Friday nights on occasion in Prescott Valley? They're the only ones. We're keeping them in business. Okay. <laughs> Lately, used to be you could go in there and pick up a pizza in five minutes. Lately, though, you walk in there and there's 10, 15 people lined up so I got smart this week, and I called 45 minutes in advance and said, I ordered this in advance, and yeah, I want it at this time. And when I get there, do I have to wait in that line, or can I just walk up to the counter? They said, since it's a pickup, you can just walk up to the counter. So I got there, and there was the 15 people. <laughs> and I walked past them all, and as I'm waiting there for the cashier, I can feel their eyes. like. <laughs> and there's a guy standing behind me like, dude, are you in line? I said, I called in, and it's, and it's ready for me. Did any of you call in? No. Okay, and I got my pizza. I embraced the called-in position that I had, right? 
I would have been a fool to wait there for 30 minutes while my pizza got overcooked in that warmer. Right? But I think about the position of newness of life we have in Christ. I also think about the fact, let me ask you a question. How many of us are waiting, waiting to embrace this newness of life? We think of eternal life as just something that happens when we die someday. That's not the the biblical picture. The biblical picture is we are new. We are alive in Christ to God the moment we come to him. How's about we embrace that? If we embrace it, you know what's going to happen? We're going to take that new position and it's going to turn into a new practice. We are going to begin to live out that, that newness of life. I think about an old phrase, and you, after I say it, you all raise your hand if you heard this before. I don't smoke, and I don't chew, and I don't hang with those who do. Anybody ever hear that in the church growing up? <laughs> okay, I got a couple concerns with that phrase. Okay, number one, the, the part I don't hang with those who do, the reason we're here is to hang with all sorts of people in this world and take the good news of Jesus to them. Okay, so that's one concern I have. But here's another concern. Somebody says, I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't hang with those who do. I came up with, with a reply. Thanks for sharing and good for you, but may I ask, what do you do? Because <laughs> listen, <laughs> why do I say that? The Christian life is not just a list of don'ts. If that is all your Christian life is, you are missing out. You are now called to do the will of God in the power of the Spirit of God that He has given you in your newness of life. That's where it becomes an adventure. Think about what Paul said in Romans 6, 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. That's where we stopped last week. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So it's not just, Lord, I'm going to stop offering my lips to that wicked slander at the office. I now offer them to you May you lead me by your spirit today to those opportunities to speak the good news of Jesus Christ into the lives of those around me. It's not just I'm no longer offering my hands to sexual immoralities. Lord, take these hands and help me serve those around me in my life, whether they know you or not, to point them to the love you have for them, and so on and so forth. I think of someone at our prayer meeting on Wednesday night, and I won't say his name because he's a humble guy and he'd be mad at you if I told you who it was. But when we got to the open prayer part and we're just taking prayer requests, this guy said, on my job, which happens to be landscaping, would you pray for more opportunities to witness to the folks where I landscape and just help me be sensitive and to seize those opportunities to speak of Jesus Christ? That's someone who's grasping this newness of life. It's not just I, I don't cut corners on the job and, and I don't overcharge. It's this proactive. I also look to be a witness to Jesus. And the cool thing about this guy, I know he does. I know he does. I've heard stories of seeds planted 
And, and an interesting thing happens as I talk to him. Some of the folks who are in landscapes, they want someone to talk to as much as anything. In fact, there, there was one elderly lady who wanted him to stick around, and he stuck around and talked to her for an hour. I think there's a lot of lonely, hurting people in this world just looking for someone who will listen. And those are prime opportunities to witness of the love of Jesus. I thought about what he does, and I think he's kind of like the man version of the, the herapist, right? You, you do folks' hair, right, Fortune? You know about the herapist? Right, that's the person while she does your hair, ladies. You guys are pouring your hearts out to each other and getting deep into your life issues and maybe crying before it's all done. I don't know what you call that in landscaping. Maybe the, uh, I don't know, the, the listening landscaper or who knows what. But what I love about that story is this is someone embracing the newness of life, why he's here, why he's here. It's true for all of us. Matthew 28 said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. I can think of no finer example of this than Peter himself. Remember in the Mark passage in chapter 16, the angel told the women, go tell the disciples and Peter. Why does she say it that way? I believe along with many, those two words ooze with the grace and mercy of God. Why? Because what's the last time Peter looked his Savior in the eye? After denying him three times. And if Peter's like you and I, you can bet he's wrestling in the darkness of that tomb and that burial. Is he done with me? Is it all over? I've gone too far. Those words, and Peter... We're filled with grace. And if you want to see the difference between offering himself to sin and offering himself to newness of life, contrast the the three denials in fear with the first half of the book of Acts. Go read it. And you watch Peter declare the gospel boldly in the power of the Spirit. You watch him along with the other apostles Rejoicing that they were found worthy to be persecuted for the name of Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's the resurrection life we're talking about. You want to see the contrast of the before and after? You think about Peter in the Gospels when Jesus tells him the Son of Man must suffer and die. And you remember Peter said, never, Lord. Never, Lord. And you remember what Jesus said to him? Get behind me, Satan. For you have in mind not the things of God, but the things of men. Contrast that with a man that history tells us followed his Lord faithfully to his own death on a cross. That's the transformation I'm talking about. He went from shifting sand to the rock, which Jesus had called him from the beginning, all because of this newness of life in the resurrected Lord and the power of the Spirit. I want to talk to you about new power, especially in our weakness. In our weakness. How many of you walking through this fallen world feel the weight of it at times? I'm with you. Discouraged, beat down, despairing. If you have pumpkins out right now, you may want to be aware of something. 
javelinas like to eat those things. I didn't know that till this week. I'm mentioning this for a reason. This isn't like a major, there's a squirrel moment. I'll come back around. <laughs> they like to eat those things. There was a, a woman in Arizona who heard something out front at her house and it was near where she had had her jack-o'-lantern. She opened the door and ended up in an altercation with a whole herd of javelinas, which led to, among other things, a broken leg and some other injuries for the woman. So beware. But I thought about those javelinas, and I thought, man, life is full of javelinas. How many of you are with me that you know that when you wake up in the morning, you have no idea what's coming at you that day? From the moment you step out of your bed to the moment you open your door, some of you have been through enough of life to know that there's javelinas out there. And those trials can, can discourage us. They can weigh us down. They can lead us to despair. Sometimes it's big things. Many of you know a couple years ago, our family got the heartbreaking news from my dad on the phone that one of my young female relatives had been molested by someone. And I'll never forget the way that hit me on the phone. And maybe you've been there. I felt so helpless. I started shaking and crying. Sometimes it's big things like that that just leave you in this place. God, this is so heavy. Sometimes it's things that aren't that big, but it's the, the frequency of things together. Sometimes it's not just one thing. It's many little things. Like, like this week, Tuesday, remember we got a call from an open gym where Jaden was playing basketball and and they said he had hit his hard head real hard and had a concussion and Carolyn raced over there and when she picked him up he was dazed and confused and and we were trying to get him out of the van and the door was open and he's trying to open it like this and you could tell he was so confused and just, Lord, please protect my son's brain. Please help him to restore. Please, and, and thank God he's made 100% recovery. But, but, but moments like that, they, they weigh on you. I'll be honest with one about the church. Many of you know we're looking for a new lease arrangement come January. And we've got some leads. We've called up. We've walked through a number of them, even this week, uh, following up on some leads. But every morning, it's a choice. There's two boxes. One's called worry. <laughs> And one's called trust me. <laughs> and by trust, I'm not saying just sit back and not do anything. We can trust and, and move towards something, but there's a big difference between the two, right? It's a battle. Uh, I, I remember one of our prayer meetings that something that helped the focus was we were talking about the eternality of God. Always been, always will be. And we said, Let, let's take a moment and pray to our eternal God about our temporary building situation. Because <laughs> really, that, that's the biblical picture, right? He's got a plan. He's in control. He's sovereign. But, but all those kind of circumstances can, can wear us down. People hurt us. Circumstances change. Look, is it any wonder Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow? Each day has enough trouble of its own. So where do we go when we feel that despair? Those javelinas are eating us for lunch. Oh, you, may, you may find comfort in the fact that even the Apostle Paul, man of faith, missionary, extraordinary, experienced despair. 2 Corinthians 1.8 
He's writing to the church there. He says, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That's Paul. Thankfully, he goes on. Verse 9, he says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That's the Christian's response in that moment of despair. Stop relying on yourself. Rely on God who raises the dead, as we see in Mark 16. 2 Corinthians 4, he goes on. The whole book follows this track. We have this treasure of Christ in jars of clay. What are jars of clay? They're fragile. They're, they're breakable. Sometimes they have cracks in them. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. When you find yourself at that place of despair, maybe even of life itself, press into the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. We do well to maybe adopt this as a slogan. Paul wrote this in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When you can't go another step, the risen Christ can and will. You depend on him in faith. Final one, new promise. New promise. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. There is hope even when death comes in this life because of the resurrection. Family in our church that said I could share this morning so we could pray for them normally sits right here. Mike and Tammy Staczynski. Aaron works with her at Trinity and Aaron texted me on Wednesday and said, would you guys pray Wednesday night at the prayer meeting for Tammy's dad? He's got ALS. She had to leave work to go be with him. The next day, Aaron texted and said that her father had passed away. When I called Tammy and talked to her, she said that two and a half months ago, they, they had, the doctors had said he, he may have up to a year. Two and a half months. And what she said on the phone, she said God didn't want him to suffer that long. He's with God now. He was a believer in Jesus Christ. When she said that, I thought about something that Liz prayed at the Wednesday night prayer meeting for her dad. Short prayer. I said, Lord, please don't let him suffer long. And I think about the things that, that Tammy said. God didn't want him to suffer that long. He's with God now. If the resurrection isn't real, that's foolishness. But since the resurrection is real, it makes all the sense in the world. 
See, the New Testament says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but it's not just that. One day we believe the, the physical bodies of all believers will be reunited with their spirits and souls and be made immortal, perfect, glorified to last forever with their Savior in eternity. It's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 21. As by a man came death, by a man, Jesus, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, and at his coming, those who belong to Christ. What's it mean? Christ was the firstfruits. He was the first one. In the Old Testament, you brought your first fruits from that field. It was a statement of faith and worship that we believe there will be more. <laughs> when Christ is raised, he is the first fruits. Why? Because there will be more. Every believer in Jesus Christ will rise one day. That's why I love what Tony Evans said one time. He said, listen, believer, don't despair if you have to meet the undertaker because the upper taker is coming. <laughs> Amen. Think of the hope that we have because of this day. I want to close with two thoughts. Revelation twenty two sixteen. Jesus calls himself the morning star. The morning star. That's an interesting name. And as I've been studying this week, I've, I've been thinking perhaps this has something to do with this resurrection morning. I could be wrong, but think about the morning star. It's Venus, right? It's the, the first star we see as, as darkness turns into day. And you think about Jesus here, the darkness of the tomb, the darkness of death, and what happened that morning. He made himself visible later on to Mary Magdalene. Could that be part of why he's called the morning star? Whatever the case, how many of you remember the song from the 70s, Because He Lives, by Bill and the Gaithers, Gloria, that's her name. How many of you know the story behind that song? In 1969, there's a lot going on in the country. The God is Dead movement was sweeping into education. Drug use was increasing. Racial tension was high. Bill was battling mononucleosis. They were both dealing with false accusations from some people in ministry. On top of that all, if you're from the Midwest, you know this. It was a particularly long, hard, and dark winter in Indiana. All of these things together, and they were pregnant. They were pregnant, and... There was a big part of them that was excited, but there was another part of them that really wrestled. Is this really a good time to bring another life into this world? As God walked with them through that process, they came to the lyrics we all know and love. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive he lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. They went on, how sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives, but greater still the calm assurance 
this child can face uncertain days because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. Amen.